Welcome to Wealth of Knowledge, coming to you from the Georgetown studio in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by U.S. News senior investing reporter John Devine. John, thanks for coming on. Antonio, it's a pleasure. John, you've compiled a nice little list for us to go over as we start the new year. We're going to go over 10 of your best stocks for 2019. But before we get into the individual stocks, what are some of your overarching predictions for the market in 2019? So I think that we're seeing uh, a lot more consciousness over over risk in 2019. That that is likely, uh, especially with some of the geopolitical problems we've had in the last year. And, and 2018 got off to a really booming start. If uh, you recall, with you know people going nuts over Bitcoin, and the market was up five percent in the month of January alone. And then, you know, some you know people sort of got their some sense back into them and. Uh, I think it's going to be a much more normal year in in terms of the history of the markets, and we're seeing uh, rates rise just a little bit more and get uh, back up to their normal, uh, where they are normally historically. They've been really low, obviously, for a long time, and I think that the economy continues to grow, and so um, it looks like uh, it's going to be another good year. Of course, nobody has a crystal ball, but... uh, the companies that I've outlined here, I think, have good futures ahead of them. So now, speaking of this list, what methods did you use to, to sort of compile it? What, what did you look for? What indicators did you think were going to uh, denote success? So I do this sort of list every year, and um, I looked over, uh, I knew I was going to write this sort of article, and um, I had been looking out for companies that were just attractive to me in the first place, and just keeping an eye out for anything that caught my eye, and then I have um, a watch list that I create throughout the year and um, sort of culled the best of the best from from that list and uh, used screeners for a few of them to screen for cheap stocks and and looked for some names that I thought that were looked undervalued. And uh, I have some familiar familiarity, excuse me, with uh, some of these businesses. So that's sort of a uh, a range of different ways, but uh, comfortable with all these names. And uh, which names, or which big names, didn't make the cut? Were there any honorable mentions that were that were close that maybe would have been eleven through fifteen, for example, but didn't quite crack your top ten? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of the cloud players actually, you know, um, cloud is a, a bigger and bigger uh, word in, in uh, the vocabulary of Wall Street and everyday life, and. Um, you know, players like uh, Google and Microsoft and Amazon, Alibaba, um, companies like that did not make the list, um, but they are certainly well-run companies, and a lot of them have experienced huge run-ups into 2019, and so that characterizes one reason that they didn't make it. All right, well, let's get uh, let's get to sure. it then. So, want to clarify that these 10 are not ranked in any particular order. This is just That's right. uh, a whole group that John likes uh-huh. together, but we're going to go uh, we're going to go down the list here. So let's start a name a lot of people are going to be familiar with, if not everyone will be familiar right. with, and that's Starbucks. Yes. So you think uh, there's a lot of growth opportunity here in maybe China and the Asian Asia Pacific region? Yes, region. that's uh, you know, the joke is that there's one on every corner. Uh, I think we know that it's pretty saturated saturated, excuse me, in in the US and in North America, but like a lot of businesses, it's looking overseas for growth, and it has some explosive opportunities in 
uh, China and Asia to continue growing its franchise. It grew sales 41% there um, in the third quarter of 2018, which um, is the most recent quarter on record that's been reported. And notably, a big hedge fund um, name, Bill Ackman, has gone into the shares pretty heavily recently and laid out a case for why he believes that it's undervalued and doesn't always work with Bill. You know, you can't follow uh, the billionaires in and expect to just make a living that way, but uh, I thought he laid out a pretty sound case for why this was fairly valued. And it only trains, it trades at about 20 times earnings, and it's well run. And they were a big pioneer in mobile payments and, and ushering that in, and that's um, increased the foot traffic, and they're you know, working on delivery. They've got a lot of things going for them. So. And, a, and certainly a, a easy name for maybe novice investors yeah. who would feel comfortable yeah. uh, diving into the market with. Next on the list, NXP Semiconductors. And we, we uh, you noted that they took a bit of a dive in, uh, in late October, but that's as low as they're going to get. They have Here's the opportunity for them to, to go up now. What do you think well, about that? Well, this is not an ironclad guarantee, Antonio. You know, I don't, uh, like I said, don't have my crystal ball. Merely there. guidance here. On that's Walker right. Island. That's right. But, uh, no, as technical investors would say, it seems to have found a bottom. So, yeah, um, NXP was going to be acquired by Qualcomm, which is a big semiconductor company um, out of Asia, and they were uh, that was not approved. That deal was not approved by the Chinese regulators, and that caused uh, NXP to plunge from about 125 a share to around $70 a share in, in late 2018. And you know these were prices that Qualcomm was was happy to pay for NXP, and the business has not fundamentally changed since then. And it's got a strong foothold in the automotive industry and in the Internet of Things and supplying, you know, companies that operate in those areas. And those are strong growth areas for the future. And um, it got $2 billion uh, from from Qualcomm for uh, the breakup fee as a punishment for Qualcomm not going through with the merger. And it's been putting that towards share buybacks. Next on the list, ever present in the news these days with more and more privacy breaches is Facebook. Yet you remain confident. I do, I do. It's not for the faint of heart, of course, but uh, I think that one of the old Wall Street sayings is uh, the time to buy is when there's blood in the streets, and uh, Facebook has certainly had its, uh, you know, little French Revolution moment going on with a lot of bad PR this year, or in, in late 2018, but they have 2.2 billion users, and that's just something that's difficult to get over from a competitive perspective and they're going to see any competitor coming a mile away. They saw Snapchat for instance coming, they offered to buy them out. Snapchat wasn't interested, they went public and everybody hailed Evan Spiegel as as a great genius, but then Zuckerberg started playing hardball and just simply iterated and copied uh, Snapchat's service and stole a bunch of users from them, essentially. Not stole, but, you know. Um, Quote, unquote. Yes, uh, in a very legal way and, and ruined all their momentum. And, you know, it's just a, a show of force for how powerful they are. I think they are going to be forced, you know, either by regulators or just uh, uh, common sense to start shaping up a little bit. And uh, this stock will be a beneficiary of that. 
And you, you mentioned that they have plans to enter online dating and maybe start charging for the Facebook marketplace transactions, and these are other, other yes. areas where you see potential growth. That's a good point. Yes, I think that those um, could also be drivers of, of earnings in the future because all these data, online dating services are using Facebook's data anyways, you know, Tinder and Hinge and, and Bumble and all that. They, they are reliant on Facebook. So Facebook is smart to enter that market, I think. And with Facebook Marketplace, it's sort of like a Craigslist or eBay sort of thing that's a natural area for people to go um, to buy and sell things. And they haven't even started taking a cut of transactions. And I think they could start doing that. I mean, I, I don't want to get too much into Facebook specifically, but I, it's almost surprising they haven't done online dating yet. I, I feel like right. sort of the joke about Facebook was that that's why it was invented, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To sort of be able to find people online, and, and now they're finally going to be able to, to, to sort of tackle this head on and, and grow a, from there. It's been a free service they didn't know they were offering for a while, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Next on the list, you have Stitch Fix, the online subscription and personal shopping service. Yeah. What do you like about Stitch Fix? Yeah, and so this is uh, a name that's a little bit less known than, than some of the first names we've been talking about. Uh, I like it because it's a combination of a lot of big trends, mega trends in the economy, if you will, that we're seeing, uh, e-commerce, um, bespoke services, subscription services, uh, data. And so what this company does is you, it's a subscription service and you subscribe if you want um, somebody to offer you stylings, uh, you know, once every month or once every three months or whatever it is, they'll send you clothes in a certain style and you sort of go on their website and tell them what style of clothes you like and it's for somebody who's maybe a little bit too busy or apathetic to shop. Um, and a quick segue here. John, do you uh, do you use Stitch Fix by any chance? You're looking pretty sharp today, oh, thank if you. I may say so. You thank can't you. see him, but uh, he's got a nice outfit put together, so I'm wondering if it's I'm, uh, through Stitch Fix. I'm thinking about it. Okay. Thinking about it. Thinking All right. about it. It's, I've, I've gone on there, checked it out. So it's uh, I, I think that it a few of my friends use it. I've heard good things. I am. I think that it's tailor-made for millennials, and that uh, it's been a little bit volatile since it um, its IPO in 2017, but it trades at something like you know point point nine times price to earnings growth, which is a bit of an obscure ratio. But anything ben- uh, beneath one is basically means that it's looking cheap. And I think that it, it has an opportunity to do things like Netflix and Amazon and use a lot of this user-generated data to maybe come out with their own clothes um, if they know what's popular with, with users. Are you concerned at all that it's sort of its business model is easy to duplicate? Um, I don't. I, I just think it's a, a very unique business that we haven't seen before. It it could be that we see more competitors here, or Amazon swoop in and try to do the same thing, and that would maybe trouble me. But as of now, I think it's sort of the only thing in this area. Now the next two we're going to go over are just your your blue bloods, really. Yes. Uh, yes. The first being Johnson and Johnson. So what you know the. the Stable and just ticking along, and, and you're still confident in it as you would would have been a year ago and, and the year before that. Yeah, I mean it's been around since 1885, so a uh, little bit before you and I, and it's been going strong uh, since then. It has three main segments: uh, pharmaceuticals, consumer goods, and medical devices. Pharma has been the main engine of growth um, in recent years, and 
A lot of that is patent, uh, patent protected, so that's great. But it can weather a business cycle. Uh, it's extremely diversified. It's got great dividends, and people are never going to stop buying Band-Aids or Tylenol or Imodium, Neutrogena. You know, these are just a few of their products. So you really interact with them on a day-to-day basis, whether you want to or not. And I just found out that Prince Charles is a shareholder, and he's on the board. So wow. can't argue with that. Cannot. Yeah. The second of these blue bloods, Berkshire Hathaway, what needs to be said here? Right, right. Another extremely well-diversified <clears throat> business. Uh, you got Warren Buffett, whose name is synonymous with uh, investing success. And um, they really try to invest more than any other company I've seen for the long run. Buffett of, often talks about buying businesses and, and um, being well-positioned for the next century. So I think that you're safe with this name. And if you are in it for the long term, you'll be rewarded well. He's grooming some, uh, some talented successors there. And it's famous for liquidity. And uh, it's steady hand and uh, great reputation should do well for investors in any crisis where Berkshire can be get sorts of deals on stocks and other things that, that no other company could imagine. So. Uh, uh, switching over to a, a healthcare stock, Centene Corporation, you think may be the fastest growing public health insurer? Yes. Can you talk about that? Uh, it's sort of a, a little known uh, public health insurer. They focus on the um, on a niche area, Medicaid, and the 2018 midterms were important for this stock because there's basically going to be gridlock in Washington for <laughs> a little bit longer, which is not exactly news, but um, uh, it, it means that um, the fact that the Democrats won in the House means that um, ACA will not be overturned likely for a while, and that means that Medicaid expansion is going to, going to continue, and that's good for Centene. And yeah, they are growing. I think they are right now the, the fastest growing publicly um, public uh, health insurer. So. Another company that people may th- <laughs> tend to think it's, you know, it's too late to invest in, that they, they missed the boat, that's Apple. Right. You say no. You say, say it's no. as good a time as any. No. Well, they've, uh, they've pulled back a bit recently, um, even though they had a great earnings report their last, the last time we heard uh, earnings from them. They beat on both the top and the bottom line, which is both revenue and profits. But, you know, people are really read into this, you know, iPhone, you know, demand into the future and, and try to read it, read into that a little bit too much. But I think that's come down to a really reasonable valuation. It's got the most cash of any company, I think, in the world, uh, over $200 billion of cash on its books. Um, and that is money that it can use to buy back stock, and it does use to buy back stock routinely, and pay a dividend and increase its dividend and invest in the future. And although we haven't seen a new product from them in a while, they are investing sort of secretly on the down low in things like electric cars and, uh, and automated vehicles. So I think that that could be an area of growth and um, be interested to see what comes from them in the next few years. Why do you think that's sort of being done on you know, secretly or sort of on the down low? I, I just think that a lot of companies are interested in it. Everybody in Silicon Valley wants to, um, 
wants to be in that area, and Tim Cook has not been extremely public about that, and I think that's maybe a little bit savvy on his part to just sort of downplay it and then come out with a, a big announcement maybe in 2020 or something. All right, next up, Sprouts Farmer's Market, the grocery chain focused on healthy, fresh, organic food. Another sort of uh, maybe off-the-wall selection, but why, why do you like them? Well, I like them because they're different, um, and it's sort of an unloved um, segment of the market that people don't pay a lot of attention to, but it's, uh, you know, something we got to have every day. Antonio, you, you and I both know you got to eat food, although you're a healthier guy than I. But, uh, so, you know Sprouts? You get, you know Sprouts I, I actually no? did not. I do not know them. Uh, okay. <laughs> I know Whole Foods. I can tell you I don't go there a ton either, yeah. but so I was going to make that, you know, make that comp- comparison as well, sort of what... What is Sprouts doing differently than Whole Foods to merit inclusion on this list? Or what do you like about it? Maybe that's different than Whole Foods? Well, they're a little bit smaller. I think they're a more regional chain than Whole Foods. And so I think they've got some some better growth opportunities. Whole Foods was snapped up by Amazon. So they're no longer even on the market anymore. But it's, if you look at history, uh, Sprouts Farmer's Market has, has been able to double revenues between like 2013 and 2017, which is pretty impressive. And their private label sales, um, which is sort of analogous to what Stitch Fix is doing in clothing, which is noticing what's popular and sort of bringing that in-house, those have pretty much doubled um, between 2013 and 2018. And those are higher margin for Sprouts. And I think that that margin is going to continue to move up. And it's also um, getting hip to what tech is doing in, in delivery, and it's starting to try to front run that because that's one area that gr- grocery could get disrupted, and it's sort of aware of that. So, The last one we have here, Dow DuPont. This is sort of your dark horse of the list, so what can you tell us about it? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's definitely not the most straightforward of the picks. Uh, it was created by a merger between Dow and DuPont, and now in 2019, there's going to be a three-way split of the business where Dow will split off, uh, DuPont will split off, and then there will be a third company called Corvetta, which will be an agricultural sort of weed business uh, similar to Monsanto that will split off. Monsanto was acquired by Bayer last year, which means that uh, Corvetta would be sort of the only stock of its kind uh, in its class, which is good for uh, in terms of I think institutional investors will be interested in having sort of a pure play option on that business right there but down DuPont we know um, you know in just everyday language or leaders in their respective areas of material science and specialty products is technically what it's called but uh, bottom line there's going to be some synergies from splitting these businesses up uh, allegedly, what management says, of course, but oftentimes when when there are these uh, spinoffs, investors will see benefits as individual companies are allowed to focus on their individual areas of expertise and and not just be one sort of large agglomeration of companies. So uh, they're, they're targeting three point six billion dollars in synergies and the uh, three billion dollar buyback before these uh, spinoffs occur in mid-2019. So with that, you know, with that date in mind, is this something that you think investors need to get into as soon as possible, basically? I think if, if you're 
uncomfortable with with uh, how complex this is because it is admittedly a complex uh, pick. You know, if any of these other nine names, uh, you know, spark your fancy, I would go with that instead. But if you're if you want to wade into the deep and uh, take a chance here, I think it's uh, it's worth a shot for sure. The ten to recap are Starbucks Corporation, NXP Semiconductors, Facebook, Stitch Fix, Johnson and Johnson, Berkshire Hathaway, Centene Corporation, Apple. Sprouts, Farmer's Market, and Dow DuPont. Are some of these companies better for certain types of investors, or is this just yeah. a good opportunity for, for anyone? I think that's a good point. Um, you know, some of the blue chip names like Johnson & Johnson and Berkshire Hathaway, for instance, even Apple and, and Starbucks, I would say, are good for sort of older, perhaps more uh, conservative investors. Uh, a lot of those companies pay a dividend. Surprisingly, Berkshire doesn't, but I'm sure it will in the coming years. And then some more aggressive names like arguably NXP, Centene, Sprouts Farmers Market, you know, Facebook um, even. Um, those are companies that if you're uncomfortable with, you know, uh, taking a risk for a year or two, then maybe don't buy them. But, but I think that all of these are good long-term plays, and all of them are well-positioned in 2019. But, yeah, some of them have more upside than others, and, and some of them are just going to keep chugging along. As we're at the at the beginning of the new year, what are some of your, uh, do you have any New Year's resolutions for, for investing for yourself and that others can uh, <laughs> take advantage, you know, take advantage of. Oh, put me on the spot here, yeah, Antonio. That's right. Uh, haven't really thought about that. I mean, I'm going to try to, I think, automate more savings, uh, I think is one thing I'll try to do. Maybe up my 401k contribution if I can a little bit. I think that's something if anybody can afford to do, it's always a good idea. I haven't always done that myself, but I think that I'm going to try new to. New year, new year, new John. So we got to yeah, yeah, right. experiment a little what bit. What about you? Oh, the same. All oh, that sounds okay. like a good idea. And then maybe exercise a little bit more. That tends oh, okay. to be yeah. outside of the financial realm. Invest in yourself. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah. Uh, well, John, thanks for joining me. Uh, maybe we'll follow up a, a year from now and, and see how some of these selections have done. Sounds good. Thank you, Antonio. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Check out our other episodes and go to money.usnews.com for advice, rankings, and tools on all things investing. If you have specific questions about investing you'd like answered on future shows, please email us at wealthofknowledge@usnews.com. Finally, please subscribe, rate, and comment on our podcast so that we can help more people make smarter decisions with their finances. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. See you next week.